You are listening to the Salty Witches Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Austin, and I'm here with Mike. Hello. And we are joined today by a very special guest, Mystic Malachi. How you doing? Namaste. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. So now you are joining us from the UK, right? I am indeed. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. uh... Oh, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that, yeah. Uh, okay. Like seven, seven hour difference. I was going to say, so yeah. hopefully everything will go well. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure everything will go well. And we, we appreciate you agreeing to meet with us because we know it's, it's, it's getting rather late there where you are. So, um, so without further ado, let's, okay. let's dive in. So, so I guess the first thing that I, I wanted to, to try to uh, do is actually give you a chance to tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, and our listeners, of course, right? Because we're 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 somewhat we're a bit more familiar with you than probably a lot of our listeners would be. Um, but but yeah, if you could, like, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I'm originally from Spain, um, a little town near Madrid, hmm. and I kind of grew up in a vaguely Mormon household. Oh, very very vaguely. Um. Yeah, awkward now. <laughs> um, no, 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 you're yeah, good. I, I have a very... Um... <laughs> you're good. No, you're what, good. I, no, what, what, no I, I think there's a little bit of a delay on our sound here. No, anyway, what, what I was going to say is um, I, uh, for some reason, I guess I just don't, we, we, the, the Mormon, we're in Utah. So, so the Mormon church is a huge thing here. <laughs> Um, and so it's just, it's kind of funny that, that you've got some of that, uh, behind you a little bit. I wouldn't have thought that, uh, the LDS church at the Mormon church would have had, uh, such a presence in Spain, but I guess they are everywhere, aren't they? Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. Please yeah. continue. Yeah. Yes. No, don't worry. Um, absolutely everywhere. Um, so obviously Spain being a very Catholic country, um, my family was influenced by that, but my mother decided to convert to um, Mormonism out of the blue. You know how they are, very culty, very followless mm-hmm. at the door. Um, but yes, yeah, she was never um, devout. You know, she still drink and smoke and things like that. She, she didn't care about the rules. It was more about the spirituality of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but my family's always been very connected to magic and witchcraft. Um, my brother... Uh, was set to be able to do certain things. And in Spain, magic is kind of very, um, very folk magic, lots mm-hmm. of Catholicism within it, of course. Um, a little bit of fighting against that as well in places. Uh, so my family has a lot of that within it already. Um, and then I moved to the UK when I was eight. Um, yeah, by the time I was 11, 12, I was figuring myself out and I did that. The church wasn't for me. After the only reason I wanted to get baptized was because the elder was really cute and uh, <laughs> that was awkward. So, so we're kind of realizing that I was gay and in a place where they were beginning to tell me what to think and how to believe. Um, I decided that no, that wasn't for me. Um, so I, I turned to magic, witchcraft, paganism. Um, so it was about 20 years ago, 2002. 
Um, and yeah, my path kind of went side by side with martial arts. So there's a lot of Eastern um, practices within what I did right away, um, beginning with Chinese martial arts, like who I began to learn meditation uh, from a Maha, uh, Mahayana Buddhism point of view, um, which eventually led to Qigong and Tai Chi, so the more uh, Taoist um, forms. So Taoism came in, you know, a little bit of uh, feng shui, a little bit of um, bagua, I Ching, hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then I I just kept moving. I didn't, I, I couldn't settle on anything. Nothing was fully capturing me. Um, I began to work more shamanically. I know we don't like the word, but it's unfortunately <laughs> the term that's used. It's the word. It's um, the word. Yeah. Yeah. That's the word. Um, I'm sure you'll do a podcast about shamanism with big quotation marks at some point. <laughs> um, and then uh, went more to Japan. So I started uh, practicing Japanese martial arts, which are very tantric Buddhist in nature. Um, so there's a lot of tantra hitting my practice quite quickly. Uh, some uh, omyodo, um, some Shinto, because even within my martial arts, so I practice um, Togekudo Ninpo Taijutsu, and at the beginning of every class, you you first bow into the dojo and then actually perform a prayer for the kami within the dojo for their protection and their their well-being and your well-being. Um, so. So the religious spiritual part was already there. I couldn't unmarry the two. Um, and, you know, eventually met um, some, my first boyfriend who happened to be a hereditary witch from a very Dianic family. So he wasn't taught everything was supposed to be taught because it's male. <laughs> um, but he taught me a lot of stuff like conjuration, abjuration, even illusion. Um, so the more energetic, magical side of things. Mm. And eventually I decided that because I could going back and forth from like witchcraft Wicca, uh, which was kind of the only books available at that sort of time, really, mm. and Eastern practices that I needed to find where the things that don't fully correlate within Western magic came from, which slowly led me east again, uh, mm. mostly to India. So, since for about the last 10 years, I've really been focusing on India, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, um, and mostly Tantra. Tantra, I started to dive deep into Tantra about seven years ago. So I'm still a novice, but um, started to fully begin the practice of forms. <clears throat> but yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Okay. Okay, sorry. I think I think we still have a little bit of a delay. Our, our our sound there was a little off, but but we got we got all that. We got we got it. So, okay, okay. So yeah, I I know in um in and kind of you know becoming familiar with you, you know, in in uh, you know um that's one of the things that I actually found value. Uh, in, in much of the information that you share, you know, I do, I do consider you a teacher, you know, you share a lot of information and, and even just as you were relating, you have all of these, um, all of these, these, this very diverse spectrum of belief and practice behind you. Um, you know, and I love that it's been my experience that the best teachers usually have information and experience Absolutely. coming from lots and lots of different practices. Um, so, 
so from what you were saying, you were you were somewhat involved, even though you had going further back, you had the connections to folk practice and some of these other things. You for you, you actually were involved in like the Eastern spiritual practices and the mysticism before you really, from the sound of it, at least kind of stepped into. Um, do, do you identify as a witch? Would you would you use the term witch? Or what 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 is what is your title? What what would you what would you define yourself as? So I like the word mystic, okay. um, which is why I use it um, as a sort of, I don't like the word title, it's not really title for me, but mostly uh, because of its meaning, um, and that is uh, someone who through any means possible um, reaches out to discover the divine um, okay. in any form that it takes, in, in, any, in any way that it can. So yeah, I wouldn't call myself a witch. I don't practice witchcraft, although there is definitely a craft within my craft. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right. So, so as you were just kind of relating and through your own practice, um, how? What is your take, I guess, because, I, you know, your voice in this conversation, your voice is one that I, I think uh, I value or I would I would give a little more value to it than a lot of others because you've, you've lived this, you have these experiences, right? Uh, you know, not to discount anybody else's voice or opinion on this necessarily, but, but as someone who is, has actually made the commitment, made the investment to learn, to initiate, to do these things, you, you know, you've done all of this. What is your take on really associating Eastern practices with other kinds of folk traditions. Um, you know, I think we, we see that happening a lot in, I think, both good and bad ways. And I guess, what, what is, what's, what's your take on that? Well, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of accidental misunderstanding, mm-hmm. kind of exporting um, a piece of an idea. Uh, if we go back to even Crowley or uh, that, that time period, mm-hmm. he was taught by a yogi certain practices, but of course he wasn't taught the full context. He wasn't taught, um, the, he wasn't given full initiations. Mm-hmm. Um, but he then added that to his students and asked them. And from student to student, teacher to teacher, it has developed with the misconceptions that were there to begin with and has changed in often in ways that make the practice invalid. I hate to say it, but yeah. sometimes these things do become so distorted that they're not, they have nothing to do with the original. Mm-hmm. Um, other times, obviously, it, it adds a lot to the, to the flavor of the practice. So um, I can't say necessarily that um, these ideas come from Eastern practices, because it's difficult to know exactly where things come from, right? Um, Eurasia is one continent, and it's been sharing information and ideas back and forth for thousands of years, way before uh, Europe was Europe, right? Mm-hmm. So there has been times when even the Greeks, when they reached the edges of India, um, converted to Buddhism, and they were Buddhist Greeks. Mm-hmm. And those ideas went back and forth from Greece all the way to India and back. And mm-hmm. um, there are statues of the Buddha being protected by um, Heracles. So we 
we know this is true, we know it happened, we know ideas came back and forth. Um, and then obviously semi-modern times when things were kind of uh, taken, really. Um, so in, in Wicca, we have the concept of all goddesses being the goddess or gods being the god, right? Yeah. This is often, you know, people don't talk about, about Wicca, something that's, that's taught as being wrong and uh, you're kind of lumping everything into one, one thing and removing nuances. And this is not okay. Mm-hmm. But so within, for example, Tantra, you have the concept of Shiva and Shakti. Shiva being the masculine, and I do use quotations here, masculine form, um, because it's easy to have a a right and a left, a up and a down, mm-hmm. a yin and a yang, right? Yeah. And we kind of see that way, even though it's not clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Shiva Shakti idea is that um, the divine, unnamed, un, un, not unknowable necessarily, because it is knowable, but ungendered, uncolored, um, the, the pure divine tries to expand and experience itself through itself in means of itself. So all things are the divine, the entire divine. Mm-hmm. Uh, within Tantra, it is the case of there's a piece of the divine in you and a piece of the divine in me, and one day we'll, I don't know, develop and evolve. It, within Tantra, everything from um, the smallest pebble to the largest mountain, um, the cloud that dissipated last week, and the cow excrement on the floor are all entirely the divine. Mm-hmm. So all deities are one essence. So you can kind of see the correlation between Wicca and... Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, so from what you were saying, I'm going back to what you said a moment ago, and I don't want to dwell on this because I, you know, and I, I have, do you have a follow-up to this that I think would be, you know, kind of more in the positive, right? But from what you were just saying, you, you were kind of saying, you know, that there are so many of these things because we've seen this influence, you know, you mentioned Crowley specifically, but, you know, about in Austin, I, we've, we've both spoken in different times, even on this podcast of the influence of, of organizations, say like, like the Golden Dawn, who were notorious about, you know, kind of picking and taking and appropriating things from many, many different cultures, you know, um, and then in the process, as you were mentioning, losing the nuances and losing those, those important cultural details that were, you know, that were so sacred to those practices in their original form, you know, so I guess where I'm going with this is, in contemporary practice, looking at what a lot of people are doing now, how have you noticed that a lot of what's been taken from this these Eastern practices, how have you noticed that this has really kind of proven to be a negative kind of a thing in our community? Well, I I always like to throw in the, the concept of the chakras. Um, you've probably heard me mm-hmm talk about it too many times and I do talk about it too many times but it's it's the perfect example I think of where um an eastern practice has come to the west and has been so misunderstood and so misappropriated that it's no longer what it used to be and then it's being used in a way that can negatively affect people 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose if you don't mind me rambling very quickly, no, go for it. Um, so that those listening are like, what about the chakras? So they, they've got some context, right? <laughs> so um, the concept of the chakras that came to the West um, is actually from one school, the Hatha Yoga. Um, and that Hatha Yoga school is very masculine only, only men can practice. And it is using the, the essence of the seminal fluid to sort of recycle back into the body to reestablish that that life-giving power within the body for longer life, better health, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in the West, we don't do that. That's not part of our chakra system, but it's integral to the chakra system of the Hatha Yoga. And yet, that is the system that we have that was brought over. Mm-hmm. Um, that system has been so wildly used, widely, excuse me, widely used, that even Eastern practitioners talk about the seven chakras. Mm which is it can be very difficult to have a conversation to a traditional practitioner who has absorbed the misunderstanding from the West that went back East. The same thing has happened with, um, with yoga. Um, it was a mostly meditative practice. The Westerners saw it and thought it was cool, became a physical practice, went back to India, and now most Indians, when practicing yoga, practice the asana, the poses, mm-hmm. which is... It's a shame. So the chakras are taught to taught as a prescriptive um, idea, not a descriptive idea. That is, if if someone tells you there are seven points of energy within the physical body or within the subtle body, and they are these colors and they are these associations, you kind of take that as fact. It's presented as fact, and that's what's happened in the West. In, in the original texts, they're not written that way. They are written as a tool. Visualize this color in this place. Within that color, you uh, change certain mantra and install them into the, that sacred space that you have created in that place in the body. You then, uh, through something called Nyasa, you place the deities within those points, uh, specific deities, so specific mantras, specific yantras, specific deities. Um, specific workings and each school and um, hundreds of schools have a different system mm-hmm. the most common system is a five chakra system uh, seven. in fact um, chakras have only existed within tantric schools and non-tantric schools after the fall of tantra took took some of those ideas into themselves like the hatha yoga hatha yogis are not tantric in the slightest mm-hmm. um, but they use a lot of tantric um ideas and tantric um practices so hatha yoga chakras aren't tantric but come from tantra um are very specific to a very specific set of people who are celibate who are um ascetic so they leave the world behind who have very specific rituals every day for purification um and those are not the things that we do nowadays we do not retain the seminal fluid and um bring it up the channel to to the head we don't do that yeah uh, it's not taught and yet we're using those chakras as if we can um and because that was taught now we have crystals uh musical notes uh herbs angels whatever associated with each chakra which are, have nothing to do with reality 
including and the most specifically damaging, which is why I'm, I want to wrap it up there, is the psychological ideas of each chakra. Um, that is Jungian ideas mm-hmm. entering into a completely different practice. Um, so if you're working with chakras and you're not using yantras, mantras, and installing deities into those places, which by the way, don't exist, we create them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise we all have 108 or more little pockets, right? Yeah. Uh, of yeah. Moving, moving energy. Um, so if you're not working with them in that way, you're not working with the chakras. It's okay. boring. Yeah. You just not. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think we we can both uh, we can both completely completely support you on that. Yeah, we um, we have that conversation about the chakra system a lot with our with students here uh, because people they come into our space here, you know, looking for those things, looking for the you know the chakras, the information on the crystals, these these kinds of things. You know, they want those things. And I, I guess in asking you that question, I, I really kind of where I was going with that. And I think you, you, the way you presented that and the extra information you shared on some of those practices is wonderful because yes, our listeners will probably love, many of them won't, won't know that. Um, I just loved it because they presented it in such a educational manner. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. like underneath that tone, I was, I could totally feel the like, it's the exasperation. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But um, anyway, but it, it seems to me though that, that because those things, because they've been so, um, they've changed so in, from what they originally were and the practices that they are, they were inherent to to what they've become now. It seems to me like this is another one of these things that's really been caught up in these processes that we see within certain facets of the spiritual community around things like spiritual bypass. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the psychological uh, associations that have been given to something like the chakra system, you know, um, and how, um, you know, people are falling back on on that. And they, they're really, in essence, they've taken something that is a legitimate spiritual practice and they've they've whittled it down to something basically similar to like it's like a pseudoscience, you know, um, it. yeah, exactly. So have you have you noticed to counter that? Have you noticed that? the incorporation of some of these, uh, you know, the Eastern mysticism and some of these practices into like contemporary Westernized uh, paganistic practices. Have you noticed, like, have there been benefits? Like what, has there been a positive? I I believe so. Um, The fact that people um, take in meditative processes that take in pranayama, so breathing techniques, um, that take in um, like deep psychological and philosophical ideas that are maybe more pantheistic, uh, which is rare within Europe. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not unseen. It is there, but they are rarer. Um, those can be really helpful when doing certain works on yourself. I suppose the the trouble here lies when. Um, the more witchcraft-based um, practices, which are a little bit more about having a better life here for myself and for those around me, right? They are, it's changing the world to suit your needs instead of changing yourself to suit the world. Yes. In, in a nutshell, right? In, to put it very simply, um, practices go the other way. <laughs> um, they suggest that you change yourself, not to suit the world, but to suit 
um, reality the way it is. So you remove your misconceptions um, and you remove your ideas and associations with what you call the self, right? Um, this ego nature that we have. Um, so when someone that is trying to change the world for their for themselves in a need a new job or I, I want a new boyfriend or girlfriend or significant other, um, then makes a few things that don't correlate very well. There can be a sort of philosophical uh, butting of heads sometimes. And then which one wins out? Well, the ego, usually the, the thing that I want. Um, then because of this conception, you can fall, what they call falling off the path where you have given into pleasures, given into um, just letting go of spirituality because the things that you want in the world have presence. Mm-hmm. There, therein lies a little bit of a problem when when the Eastern ideas come into some Western practices, but generally speaking, it's all very positive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when done properly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, I would agree with you on some of those things. I think that um, one of the other things that we, we engage a lot with our students here is um, yeah, more, more and more, I should say, you know, within recent years has been the concept of incorporating meditative practice into many different types of spirituality, um, you know, and I, and I, I do, I still believe that that is um, such an inherent part or needs to be such an integral part to spiritual practice, however it may be done, because I think that a lot of the confusion we have with, with people that come in here is that um, everybody thinks there's just, there's only one way to meditate and, you know, and there are many, many, many ways to meditate. So, yeah, so, but, uh, but yes, but I can see some of what you were just sharing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can totally appreciate um, how that has strengthened a lot of our other practices. Yeah. All right. So. The, the problem lies. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, no, go for it. Yeah. Um, so Eastern practices, and you're going to hate this, and I'm sorry. It pains me to say it. Huh? And to eventually watch your face react. Um, <laughs> that Eastern practices are very much a case of... Um, Intention is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I know that that's stupid in the West because people take it too far. They misunderstand what you mean by that and then just go, oh, if intention means anything, I can do whatever I want, mm-hmm. um, which isn't false in the, in the Eastern idea, but it, there are caveats. There are reasons why and, and processes as to how it works. It's not just mm-hmm. I'll make things up. Um, a very quick example, um, in, in India, when someone travels very far and comes to your home, you give them eight offerings because they're tired from travels. This is traditional, right? So it's things like water to bathe, water to drink, food, um, scented oils to put on their skin, incense, music, et cetera, et cetera. There's eight of them. Mm-hmm. Now, within Buddhism... And especially uh, Mahayana and um, Vajrayana Buddhism, they offer these things to the Buddha. However, most Buddhists, or at least a large majority of non-householder, are monastic, so they don't have um, extra food because they they are given food every day by the community. They don't have incense. They don't have music. So what they developed was 
carrying around with them eight little bowls, eight little bowls that you put in front of the statue if you have one or just out in nature and you offer eight um eight little sips of water each one representing these things so if you can if you can replace music with water um you know incense with water because it's it's a symbolic act mm -hmm. then in a way you can do the whole thing without offering anything at all yeah and there are there are practices where you literally just Put your hand in a certain way and offer the entire universe to the entire universe. Um, but there are caveats. Yeah. No, actually, I, I, it's, it's so funny the way the way that you prefaced that. I was like, oh, what's he going to say? What, what's what's coming out of there? Um, anyway. <laughs> so, anyway, so no, no, so you know, you're good. Uh, anyway, but I. And I and I, I want to be completely honest. I I don't know. I I don't really disagree with you there. I can't. I, you know, um, we do. As you were saying, we do absolutely hear that a lot. We you know we hear the intention is everything. Intention is everything, uh, a lot from uh, like facets of the New Age community here. Um, but uh, you know, but intention is absolutely. It's a very powerful thing. There's energy there. You know, and I think if we look at um, some of these spiritual practices through other. Or, or, you know, through the lens of other types of metaphysical understanding, you know, we understand that really at the end of the day, everything is energy, mm -hmm. you know, water, water and the energy that water is comprised of is potentially the same energy that the incense would be made of. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, uh, you know, so the intention is, is absolutely, it's very powerful. Um, what well, were you say? well, the thing is, is different practices, right? Yeah. And so um whilst and not just practices but different cultures and societal things right and so whilst um in that practice yeah intention would be everything someone who is like i'm wiccan intentions everything it's like mm -hmm. no that's not how that tradition works but thank you mm. Yeah. You know, so I, I very much like I'm a big proponent of the intention is not everything. But even then, even then, that is just from my perspective as a witch. I haven't used the chakra system my entire life. I don't. Even when I was going through Reiki, mm -hmm. my Reiki oh, teachers were oh, like... <laughs> Trust me, I get it because even my, even my teachers in Reiki were like... Yeah, the chakra system isn't a thing that we use. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we use different points or tandien, that, that's that. And I'm like, okay, cool, I can get on that. The minute I was teaching a Reiki class, it was my first Reiki course here, someone was like, are we going to learn about the chakras? I was like, no, but we have a book in the shop, I'm sure, that can give you some information. And they're like, well, how, this Reiki, how is this Reiki without the chakras? And I was like, because, because mm. Reiki's not... A part of that system, <laughs> yeah. Um, because Reiki has a big stance within um, Mahayana Buddhism, there are some forms of Mahayana Buddhism that use a Reiki, uh, sorry, a chakra system. But it would be a five or a six chakra system. It would never, ever, ever be the seven that we all think about. Um, so, if big if Yusui. Uh, Dr. Yusui did use a chakra system, which there's no evidence to say that he did. It wouldn't be the modern seven chakra system. Just yeah, it's correct. Yeah, you know, and it 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 just frustrates me because yes. mm -hmm. 
Westerners. Well, we, we, we know you enjoy being frustrated. I don't enjoy um, being frustrated. It's just I just feel like I'm perpetually in a state of frustration at this point. So you've you've already touched upon a couple of these things so far in, in kind of answering some of the other questions that we have. But I guess, you know, in kind of continuing on and giving our listeners maybe something else that, you know, they could kind of take forward with them. So if someone... You know, if it just just any you know any random person, you know, they found themselves in a position where they were like, well, I feel a particular call, or I feel drawn to these different culturals uh, or cultures, these different practices, and, and to my you know, and, to, and as best I've been able to research, these are things that are not considered closed; these are available to me. What advice would you give to someone um, that was looking maybe to to combine some of these things, perhaps maybe in kind of kind of from the way that maybe that it sounds like you have. Um, Yep. What, what, would, what would you tell those people? First of all, I would say um, you, most of these things aren't closed. They are perfectly open, uh, especially certain ones. Some are more open than others. Um, when we say open and closed, it sounds like a very black and white thing, mm-hmm. but especially within Eastern practices, it is not a black and white thing. Yeah. Um, there are times where you're walking a path that you think is perfectly open and all of a sudden there's a door in front of you mm-hmm. because it is perfectly open to a point. And then you require either initiation or empowerment into that particular practice. So an initiation would be um, entering into a, a school, um, for example, which is the um, what the tantric as we call a sampradaya. Um, an empowerment is given the ability, the teaching, and the energetic uh, fluctuation from teacher to student to do a specific practice for a specific thing. So um, Tantra, for example, and, th- and this is kind of the thing that I use the most. So Tantra is Hindu, Buddhist. Um, there's some forms of Tantra in Jain. Um, and even in uh, Islam, there's there's a little bit of the tantric um, lineage within Islam, mm-hmm. the Sufis. So th- this is this spans from the Middle East. I don't know that term, but there you go. The Middle East all the way to Japan. Um, so tantra tantra encompasses a lot of space, a lot of time, a lot of practices. Tantra is open to anyone and everyone. That is the thing that created the biggest movement within within that time period, that at the time women were not allowed to do certain practices. Women were not allowed to be um, gurus, teachers. Um, Anyone within the LGBT um, community would be marginalized against because they they do have words for different forms of the LGBT at, Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, they would be marginalized depending on the practice. If they were masculine presenting, that they, then they could do some of the masculine things, mm-hmm. uh, but not others, and vice versa with the uh, feminine okay. presenting. And within, right in the middle of the uh, spectrum, were often uh, revered for certain things, but some schools wouldn't allow them. So Tantra was the first one to go. It doesn't matter what caste, what creed, what religion, what race, what what gender, what anything you are, um, you are, you can do it. However, it is open for everyone, but it's not suited for everyone. So anyone can do it, but it's not suitable for everyone. Um, and I say this with the biggest um, asterisks at the end of it. Uh, if you are thinking, or those people out there thinking, well, this sounds interesting, 
I want up Tantra. Oh no. Yeah. So, so please, please continue. Okay, so um, so it's open to everyone, but it's not necessarily suited to everyone. Um, it can be quite dangerous because you are playing with the sense of self a lot. A lot about Tantra is about removing who you think you are. So if you identify as, let's just say, male, uh, you identify as straight cis, you identify as tall, you identify as good at sports, um, whatever other thing that enters your identification, you know, you call, you call yourself certain things, um, you have to remove all of those things because they are not who and what you are. Tantra is seen as you are the entire divine, as I said before. So you must remove the accumulation of thoughts and um, ideas that you put together over your life. So your body is food that you ate throughout your life that was broken down and made into cells. Mm -hmm. So you're not your body. Uh, your mind is just information coming in and being processed and um, identification. That is not you, that is the mind. So you have to remove all of them. Hmm. And in doing so, what a lot of Tantra works with is um, becoming a deity. Okay, yeah. You have not becoming a deity, as in I'm going to ascend and become a god. That's hmm. not it at all. Um, again, deities are seen as um, aspects of divinity specific mm -hmm. to a purpose or to a uh, asset of, of creation, right? Um, you are all of it, and so are all of the deities. So what you end up doing is you end up connected with one particular deity, sometimes two, and in the temple, you get one, because if it's a male deity, you always have a female with it. And if it's a female deity, you always have a male with it. So mm -hmm. it's never really one, but it's always one. Okay. Um, called your Ishta Devata. Um, and you, you work to embody that that deity to the point where there's no separation between you and that deity. So you work in a sort of, there are levels to this. So you begin by worshipping the deity externally. Then you begin by working, uh, working with the deity, communing with the deity on a regular basis, and then internally worshipping the deity and eventually taking the deity almost like a, um, it's almost like calling down the moon, really, or um, invocation. You invoke the deity and you become the deity for a short period of time, and then a longer period of time. And then you, the thing that you think you are melts away, and all that's left is the deity. Okay. So that can be really dangerous. You can have multiple personality disorder. You can have a, a loss of self um, and um, body dysmorphia, mental dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. um, it if not done properly with some good teaching and ideally a guru, you can lose yourself, your entire sense of self. So it can be very dangerous. Hmm. So big caveat if you're if you're wanting to learn tantra, um, yeah. Okay. Well, I think I think I, clearly learning and I think doing the. I think that you're, you're touching upon there. I think something that we see happening in a lot of different spiritual paths where. Um, you know, people want to learn something and so they, they kind of, they invest, you know, in whatever that thing may be, but they, in the process of, I don't know, maybe it's like, you know, they get impatient, 
you know, they, they maybe they realize, you know, a little too too late that maybe this wasn't the right thing, but that now they're they're caught up and they need to do it, right? But basically they come away from that thing with what amounts to a fairly superficial knowledge of what it is. And you know, it's like they've just barely touched the surface of that. You know, um, and then they come away with that or, you know, thinking like, oh, well, the, now I am this now. I'm going to do this now. You know, and, and you're absolutely right. They miss so many of the other things. They miss those deeper underlying principles and practices. And um, and it really it kind of over time can create a very um, kind of empty kind of a, a form of spirituality. And uh, and as you were saying, I can absolutely see where there, there could be uh, that could be harmful. Potentially, I think I think you I'm sure you have seen this in the years that you've been not only a, a student, but also a, a teaching and sharing information. You've seen a number of people um, really, really kind of screw themselves up with mm-hmm. uh, kind of kind of like a, like a, a half assed approach to their spiritual practice, basically. <laughs> um, Kundalini rising is one of the yeah. major things. Um, so dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like you can, I've, I've met a couple of people who have messed up their internal workings for a good few months because mm-hmm. of doing techniques that rouse the kundalini, not understanding what it is, and then the process not happening all the way through. It only it, yeah. it gets yeah. Um, and then yeah. you're putting your tongue and playing around the floor. <laughs> Well, we, we, something that I find a lot is that people want to get involved in these practices. And this includes everything from Tantra to Wicca to witchcraft and even up to the point of like specific parts of witchcraft and traditions. But the minute they find out that they start at square one and it doesn't matter how many books you've read doesn't matter how many classes you've taken you're going into this particular tradition you're fresh it doesn't matter how much you think you know about it you know i i have, I, i've had this interaction with more people than i'd like to, to I'd, I'd care to talk about when it comes to italian witchcraft everyone thinks that italian witchcraft is grimasi and yes. they start talking to me and nothing against grimasi again pioneer right um they start talking to me and they're like, oh, well, I want to learn your brand. And I'm like, I, you're not my family. <laughs> like, like, that's not how this works. And even with Wicca, there are people out there proclaiming that I'm a high priestess. And it's like, okay, of what, of, of what tradition? Oh, well, I'm an eclectic. So you've modge-podged your tradition together. And now you're inviting all these people and drawing down the moon into some random person you don't know because they're claiming this thing. You know, I mean, we had a, a ritual this last Sunday and I, there were three people that I trusted enough that I could draw the moon down into because I had students who wanted to see a, a Wiccan ritual. Um, and the only reason I did that was because one was a coven sister. Well, two of them were coven sisters and the other one was a second degree gardenarian. So I was like, okay, like, we know how to work with this energy. If I were to just, you know, God, could you imagine what would happen if I pointed out to, to Liz and been like, Liz, we're going to draw the moon down into you. Yeah, I have no idea. That, that would have been... That would probably not have been very productive. No. And so it, 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 it gets concerning as someone who is also a teacher where it's like, whoa, because I've had the interaction of, well, I'm just learning stuff off witch talk. And it's like... Yeah. 
What? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, we 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 tell people a lot. Like you know, and I I feel almost hypocritical sometimes because we put a lot of information out there on Witch Talk and Instagram, other social media feeds, you know, and then and then I, I do that, and then the next thing I say is, don't learn your witchcraft from social media. <laughs> it should it should be. So I'm like, I'm like, I haven't found that balance quite yet. Social media uh, witchcraft and spiritual practice is the kiddie pool. It's where you yeah. go. It, 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 it's where you go to get comfortable and climatized to those waters, mm, and then eventually, okay. what ends up happening is you should be able to take off your water wings mm. and actually go into the water and swim with everyone else who knows how to swim. Oh, but, I, I don't like public pools. But no, I don't like public pools either. Yeah, um, but <laughs> but instead, we have people who are basing their entire practice and belief system around what XYZ creator or XYZ person or mm-hmm. XYZ Pinterest article or XYZ Pathios article. Okay. There's lots of good information out there. Well, I think, well, I think Mystic Malachi, I think, I think the, 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 they were they were just explaining, you know, what they were just saying uh, specifically with the example of uh, the uh, the Kundalini, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, rising or awakening, you know, like I, I think, um, would you agree uh, that it would be, it, it is fair to say that there really are things out there that we just can't combine? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, when I'll, I'll put the example of witchcraft because this is your field. Mm-hmm. Um, I have practiced witchcraft since the beginning because witchcraft and Wicca were where I started alongside um, the martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, when I began to work within a tantric field, I had to drop a lot of it away. It doesn't mean that I can't do it, and and often I do. There is a shamanic element to um, the Himalayan region mm-hmm. who practice from a very sort of earthy kind of way, uh, which which correlates a little bit with with Western witchcraft in mm-hmm. some places, like um, poets, for example, or mm-hmm. um, incenses and things like that. Yeah. Um, but when doing a a working, let's call it, because mm-hmm. there isn't a specific word necessarily, um, from a tantric point of view, um, it's incredibly specific as to how you do it, but at the same time, like we said before, intention is everything, so things can be blended or molded. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give a quick example of, of a sort of working within tantra. Now, I, I can't give specifics because... Mm-hmm. These things are initiatory, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when, you're, when you're doing a working, um, you are working with the divine idea of whatever you're doing. So if you, for example, you are working within, uh, I require money to live and I, I need to bring money into my life, um, you might call upon, for example, Lakshmi. Mm-hmm. Lakshmi being goddess of wealth, bounty, and beauty. Um, she is the uh, personification or... Um, whatever you want to call it, the personification of um, the precious metals and um, precious stones within the earth, the the bounty of the harvest, right? She's that personification, depending on the school, but generally speaking. Um, In order to do a spell, to do a working for finances, you would build uh, a yantra or mantra to... um, Lakshmi. So this is a um, 
geometric pattern, either drawn, made with uh, colored sand or powder, or three-dimensionally, that represents her. It, it, it is her, in fact. It's not, it's not a representation of her, it is her in, in another form. You mm -hmm. chant the mantra, the mantra is the sonic form of her. It's not a mantra to her, praising her, but it is her. Mm -hmm. um, so then the, the yanta is empowered both, so both work in tandem, right? Uh, yeah. You give offerings to, to that uh, yantra or mandala um, specific to her as you're chanting, and then you embody her. So once you have embodied her and you are Lakshmi, nothing else, and only in that moment can you raise your hand and from your hand drops gold, right? Okay. You're embodying embodying it so much that you are <clears throat> uh, you're not asking a deity to do it for you because the deity and you are not separate you are the you are one being so yes. you are creating it for yourself but yourself doesn't exist it's a it, there's a lot of let's break my mind into little pieces and each part <laughs> of the mind um, and if you're not doing it well enough that all of those pieces are doing their own separate things so the physical body is going through the motions um part of the mind is visualizing another part of the mind is embodying another part of the mind is uh, chanting and then because so many parts of yourself are broken into pieces doing separate things the whole thing goes into a lull and you you enter this trance-like state of stepping back from everything mm -hmm. and that's when it happens that's when you can do the work if mm -hmm. you don't get to there it won't happen gotcha but all of those things are super specific um depending on the school yeah yeah so, that, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that, that makes sense yeah yeah okay i was just like wait this is this is the, i love this conversation because the way that the way that you were just relating that um i, I how to word this um it's very comp it's very complex like it seems very complex in practice um and I'm just, I'm sitting here, I'm trying to think of what in like Western paganistic practice would have that level of complexity within practice. I can't really think of anything that parallels there. Um, I don't know. So I, I don't know. It's, 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 um, I, I mean, that's a good thing though. I, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's a really cool thing. And I, I don't know, these kinds of practices, these, these, uh, ideas, these beliefs, these intents that go into doing these things, working in this way, um, yeah, you just don't really find things that would really parallel in in too many other traditions. Um, I guess I guess we've gotten lazy over the years, huh? I, don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's. Uh, I would say the majority of it for most people <clears throat> in the West is lazy because most people in the West want instant gratification now. Yeah, well, and yeah. you yeah. know that's that's why people are too too. Uh, I don't want to say too scared, but too reserved to get the larger pillar candle to do a working over several day period versus getting a fucking chime candle and lighting it and letting it go for 15 minutes. And they're like, cool, my spell's done because they are impatient and they're impetuous. And so because of that, um, maybe, maybe, maybe it comes down to money. Maybe they just don't have enough money to afford the pillar candle. And they probably shouldn't be buying candles if they don't have money for a candle. Like that's, that's kind of my thing. Like there's, there's always people out there who are like, Oh, I need this to bring me more money. And I'm like, yeah, but then isn't also the, isn't the cost of purchasing the pillar candle or the, the chime candle. Isn't that in, in, in essence, them showing 
you know, their spirits, whatever, you know, their power, like, I'm willing to give to be able to receive. Like, isn't that kind of something? I mean, I guess, but you can get the but same anyway, thing by that's get, okay. using we're, 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 we're on a, we're, we're totally on a, we're totically on a, on a, but, on a but basically, here. but basically what I, where I was going out with that is it, in any, and this is just me and in my observation, in any legitimate magical practice, spiritual practice, it takes time. It takes time, you know, uh, Mystic Malachi didn't get to where they are by just reading a couple books and being like, okay, now I'm this, you know, just like Mm -hmm. you didn't get to where you're at doing that. And just like, it took me years to get to, to my positions as well, Mm -hmm. you know, and people want to take from these, these traditions that are not innate to their culture or practice whatsoever, but they want to take it and they want it instant they don't want to do the work they don't want to do any of that they just want to be recognized as someone who has really cool things they 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 want to be able to carry their malas around and say that they are xyz and that they're well-learned and when it comes down to it it's like they don't even know how to use a mala you know it's like it's like people who are coming in and buying rosaries for protection, but they don't know how to pray the rosary. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, huh, here's some things you got to learn before uh, you can actually do these things. True. Yes. Sorry. I have to add some salt. I'm, yes, I'm yes, loving Austin's, all the information. Yes, I'm just Austin's, sitting over here. Austin's got to make sure that we, we have our, our usual uh, level of, of sass. Um, so, all right. Well, I mean... I honestly, I, I can't really think of any any other questions I had. I think you've been you've been very good at, I think, presenting information to kind of uh, you know that kind of touches upon some of what we wanted to really to kind of do with this episode. I mean, is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we before we we bring an end to our interview? I suppose um, the I suppose I have to I have to say something upon the. Um, cultural misappropriation because obviously I'm a white person from Spain practicing a practice that isn't my own right mm-hmm. um, even though it's open so you can look at it in many ways but the way I see it is um, it was only after the Christianization of Europe that Europe became separate from um, Eurasia, right? And mm-hmm. we even, even the terminology that we have, it's very obviously Eurocentric. Mm-hmm. Eurasia, like why? Why yeah. is the Euro part in there, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but as we said, as, as I said at the beginning, this used to be one giant landmass, or it still is, but one landmass that would share with each other. Um, there was cultural nuances everywhere, and from village to village, from uh, kingdom to kingdom there were massive differences and even within the people there were huge differences and especially in the massive melting pot that is um, the Indian subcontinent but um, I think we have to look at at the world and understand that we can't take whatever we want to take and be our own Mm -hmm. but if we come to something that is open to us with respect that we if we come to it wanting to learn and develop ourselves and not take things out of context, not go, I like this part from India, I'll take it, but leave the rest, much like what has been happening with 
the chakras and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and you dive deeply into that culture, not to take that from you. So, for example, I do not consider myself Hindu. Obviously, I'm not ethnically Hindu, but regardless, I don't consider myself Hindu, even though my practices are mostly within the Hindu spectrum. Tantra being kind of in between a few, so it's not entirely Hindu, but I'm also not Buddhist. Mm -hmm. um, I don't consider myself those things because they are not that well. The one I try not to um, attach myself to labels and ideas because that is the whole point of Tantra is to let go of the self. Mm -hmm. um, but largely because it's not mine and it's not mine to take. Working with it is a different matter. I can I can respect it and I can. Um, uh, rejoice in it and bring it up and teach teach others not for my own gain because let's face it i'll never gain anything out of it but because spirituality is universal and needs and people need something sometimes and if i thought something that can help me i give that away um it's not mine it was never mine to begin with i was just holding it um so i think i have to stay out there so if anyone's listening going well white people um just to say, uh, I don't identify as any of these things. And funny enough, every Hindu I've spoken to does nothing but kind of push me onward, like mm -hmm. go, go yeah. learn. Yeah. Um, it's not always the case, but it happens, luckily. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of say, don't be scared to, to, to touch other cultures if they allow you to um, but don't take from them and give back as much as you can in return mm -hmm. in whatever way that happens to be exactly well it all yeah. comes down to respect you know there without going too far you know there is um we, we have this debate with the white sage in my opinion there's not really a debate there just don't use it if you don't know how to use it if you've not been taught how to use it by a person or leader or elder of a tribe who utilizes it don't use it you know but they're but that's the respectful way to go about it if it's something that you've been wanting to work with and you are then invited and taught by someone of that specific culture and tribe and society on how to utilize it cool awesome but just getting it because well it's a plant from the earth and i can that's where the issue lay you know that's where the issue lies um it's just like with witchcraft and there are people even in italian folk magic practices i don't share a lot of that because that's mine that's my family's and then people try and come up with gatekeeping and i'm like if it weren't for gatekeeping, my, my family wouldn't have survived. <laughs> like, my familial practice wouldn't have survived. So forgive me if I'm a little protective of how we do things, you know. But if you approach someone who holds that knowledge respectfully, they are going to be more apt to open up and encourage you to learn about it and help guide you and eventually become a mentor, friend, and teacher than if you just go, well, I'm interested, so I want to. It's like, cool, want in one hand, shit in the other, see which one fills up faster. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We almost made it through an entire episode without me swearing. Oh, no, no, we, 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 you dropped in a couple of other experts. Oh, did I? Earlier. I think I did one too. Oh, anyway, that's well, okay. There it is. All right. <laughs> no, you were very well behaved. I don't think, I don't think we heard anything. No, no expletives from you today. That, I know. That's okay. That's I know. Okay. It's like listening uh, sometimes, like, when you listen to interviews with, like, Jimmy Gary, you're like, 
This was one of the best, best conversations ever. There's something almost there's something almost meditative about a Gemma Gary interview. Actually, it really is. Um, it's like anyway. going into like a lull. And so, no, anyway. I always appreciate I appreciate individuals who have uh, the vernacular to not swear. I swear, I curse. Honestly, I'm surprised I haven't, um, especially when talking about these things. It's mostly because I teach uh, yoga and tantra uh, locally, so I'm very good. I've, I've had to be very good at not expressing too much, uh, even <laughs> using certain words when it comes to the practices of like seminal fluids instead of words that want to come out. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's difficult, but you you get the hang of it eventually. Yeah. Oh yeah, well yeah, you would you would have to write it. So, yeah, it's like it whatever your industry may be, you sooner, yeah, you mm-hmm. you develop your own your your own language, yeah. your own vocabulary. Yeah. So all right, well mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well I I wanna thank you for joining us. I know it's again it's getting it's so getting uh, late where you are, so we, we we won't keep you any longer. But thank you so much for uh for sharing with us. Um and again to all all of our listeners, Mystic Malachi, um we'll we'll tag some um we'll we'll tag you when we when we post this episode so that if people want to follow up with you a little bit more, maybe they can do that. All right. And uh yeah, otherwise thank you so much and you have a, a lovely evening, a good night, and um, I'm sure I'll be chatting you again somehow here soon. Thank you so much. I thank really you. appreciate it. Yeah, yeah no thank you. Thank you. Bye. What an awesome interview with Mystic Malachi. If you want to know more or if you have any other questions for Mystic Malachi, you can actually follow them on their social media handles, which I do believe are we're we're going to list in the Yeah, we'll add that information. We'll add that information yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. But if you do if really you do awesome. the if you do the TikTok or the TikTok. If you do the TikTok, what am I trying to say? Yeah, if you're if you're on TikTok at all, you can actually just just do a quick search for at Mystic Malachi, all one word. And Malachi is spelled M A L A K A I. Um and uh yeah and they are a, a practitioner of tantric shamanism and witchcraft and uh they they know their they're, stuff. They know awesome. their stuff. They know their stuff. If you want legitimate information on these Eastern practices and the uh, ways to to effectively, respectfully incorporate some of these practices into your own spiritual practice, um, th- this would certainly be one of the places I would send you. If you want, you want good information. Uh, uh, sorry, getting getting a little. And it occurred to me talking with Mystic Malachi today. The last guest that we had on, Joey, you and I, you know, and I think more than a few of our other guests on the podcast so far, this podcast is very LGBTQ. Yeah. And I, I've been thinking about that a bit more. I think the reason for that is because I, I or that that's been on my mind a bit more is because as we mentioned in last week's podcast, I've been reading uh, Storm Fairy Wolf's latest book, Satyr's Kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to go into the book right now because that's not, not the point I'm trying to make. But because this has kind of been on my mind and because Pride season is kind of now upon us, mm-hmm. not here necessarily, but ours is coming up here pretty quick yeah. in June. Um, it seems to me more and more, and there will be people out there who will disagree with me, I'm sure, but it seems to me more and more like L- the LGBTQ commu- community, members of that community, and... Uh, and heterosexual women, like, we wouldn't have, these spiritual practices wouldn't exist without us.
yeah. a lot of the time, it would seem. Or they would have died out a long time. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, yeah. I, I guess that's what I mean. It's like we, like, the, the voices that I hear most today presenting information on these practices, and I'm not just talking witchcraft. I'm talking lots of different folk traditions. Mm-hmm. I'm talking, you know, whatever it may be, whatever it may be. So many of these voices, these are, these are gay men, you know, I, you know, people who I, who are on the, the queer spectrum. These are, there are members of the community that are trans. I mean, I guess I, you know, and then, and then of course always we have, we have like, you know, like, like, you know, straight women, right? Mm-hmm. Not cis- always, not always straight, but like, you know, but by cis women. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. So I just, I just, it's fascinating to me. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like. These, these are the voices that continue to keep these things alive. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, I'm not saying there aren't, you know, that, you know, cis-hetero people don't have a voice in the community. I'm not saying that at all. But, um, but it's nice to see that because I think many years ago, you saw quite the reverse. In our oh, community. yeah. You had whole factions of the witchcraft community in particular and many folk practices as well mm-hmm. that were like, if you're LGBTQ, you don't belong. You don't have a place here. That, or you won't ever be able to reach. Exactly. Yeah. You. Yeah. 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 You can't be initiated because you are blank, blank, blank. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and 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 even then, I think that's one of the reasons why even Cunningham became more uh, prevalent is because Cunningham was a member of the LGBTQ community, and um, I remember. I remember I was so grateful during my training that my high priestess was like. Yeah, no, you can be gay. It's okay. It's yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, it was something I was thinking. I was thinking. I think it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I just was thinking like, oh, wow. Like we're. And empowering. Yeah. Kind of. I don't know. You know, like I, I, like, I guess, you know, for me, coming back to that a little bit or clarifying that a little bit is like, you know, these communities, these communities should be open to anyone uh, regardless of gender identity and sexual orientation mm-hmm. right unless so, you're a bigot if you're a bigot or a misogynist then or anything uh, any any of the isms you know you can fuck off well okay i, I mean yes i mean yes i that that's not what i was saying though i was just i was basically just saying like spiritual your spiritual practice should not be determined solely on your gender identity and your sexuality agree Anyway, so there's been a lot going on in our little world and in our country, just in particular. I know that I know that the, the world is a shit show everywhere. Mm. Um, yeah, you know we've had in just the last week. You know we've had the beginning of the um, you know the the rallies. To, to protest against what our government here in the U.S. is planning on doing about a woman's right to bodily autonomy mm-hmm. and reproductive decision. You know, those, those, those rallies and those protests have started, and we totally back those. Mm-hmm. We're, we're totally in support um, because it's ridiculous what the government here is thinking of doing. But we've also now, within the last few days, we've had a couple of other, I think three now, reminders of the issue that we continue to see around bigotry, racism, and white supremacy. You know, we had the, in Buffalo, we had the supermarket that was shot up. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was just the day after that in California, there was an Asian American, I think Taiwanese specifically, a Taiwanese church 
that was was had a gunman, a white gunman, mm-hmm. with white supremacist ties, went in and shot up a church. Fortunately, only one person died in that situation, but several were injured. Um, there was, I think, there was a school shooting the day after that. It's just, it's ridiculous. I was reading gun violence in particular. I was reading, I think, the Buffalo shooting that happened a few days back. Um, which we know one was absolutely racially motivated. The the gunman made it very clear that he was there because he was a white supremacist and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Right. Anyway, but but it was I was interesting. I was interesting. I was reading that that um, that that shooting the Buffalo, uh, I think it was a Tops. I think is the name of the grocery store. Um, there uh, that was in just this year, twenty twenty two. That was the 198th, 198 uh, issue of, of like mass gun violence in the U.S. alone. <clears throat> and yet the NRA continues to run our government. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's insane. Or actually, maybe I should say that's the reason why we continue to have these mass gun shootings, these, these issues with gun violence, is because the NRA does run our government. Um, one of them, anyway. They're one of those evil organizations that, that runs our government. An evil organization operating under the premise of being a, a legitimate business. Um, anyway, so it's just, it's disgusting. But anyway, going along with that, though, are we feeling protection? Like, we should all be doing some pretty serious protective work, I think, right now for these communities. You know, whether it be women and their rights, their reproductive rights, and just uh, just human rights, you know? Mm-hmm. I cannot think of, it, of a comparable issue, ever, ever, a comparable issue that, ha- that would kind of work the other way where men are concerned. I don't think there's ever been any kind of legislation, any kind of anything that would dictate to men how and, and what we are allowed to do with our bodies. Well, of course not. That just doesn't exist. Well, it's, no, that doesn't exist because men also own the government. Well, ex- exactly. You know, and so um, so I'm thinking protection for this community. Um, obviously, we need to get things fired up again around protection and uh, protest and these kinds of things for Black Lives Matter. You know, um, and and Asian anti Asian hate is is also once again kind of being brought into the spotlight around this. You know, obviously the issues of gun violence. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I. My, my my instinct because these many of these situations bring me so much anger is to go on the attack but I think as I'm getting older I'm learning that counterattack isn't always necessarily going to really give you the answer or the outcome you want sometimes you do want to fight fire with fire but there's already enough fire in the situation it's kind of I, I attribute it to someone only doing candle magic and wondering why the person who has Chronic inflammation is not benefiting from their healing candle spell. You, you don't want to use fire to put out fire. You're just going to add fire to fire, right? Yeah. And so I, I, I agree with the protection. I also think maybe a banishment of some sort would be good. Um, you know what I did here, or I did read recently, or just mm. today actually? I read two other things in the news. I, I read the news and I don't know why. I know exactly why I read the news. It's because there's this part of me that believes that if we don't stay informed, then they just, these people that do this evil shit, they just get away with more um, than they're already getting away with. But uh, but I read the news and it, it upsets and frustrates me. But I did read a couple things today that were kind of like a little bit of a ray of sunshine and okay. all the bullshit. One, apparently Tennessee, uh, a, a high-ranking judge in Tennessee uh, 
squashed the law that they were passing there concerning signs uh, going on bathrooms for transgender people. There was basically like a some sort of rule or law that was being passed in Tennessee where um, restaurants and public places, they could put a sign up that basically would have, through its wording and through the wording of the law, would have basically prohibited trans people from using public restrooms like at all. Um, Frustrating. And a judge, I guess, on uh, a, a case was brought before the court there. Uh, and basically what it was is there were two businesses within Tennessee, within more metropolitan areas within that state, that were uh, not bigots, that were like, we, we have trans customers, we have trans staff, like we have members of people within this community who are in our business frequently. We're a restaurant. We, we need to provide restrooms for everyone, you know? Um, and they, they basically, they filed suits with the state. They were like, no, we're not gonna put these signs up in our restaurant, fuck you. And so, and this judge took their suit as an opportunity to say, yeah, this is totally fucking unconstitutional. And no, no, we're, we're not gonna pass this law here. Cool. Um, and you know, of course, the evangelicals and the religious right will immediately jump on that and fight that because they run that country, or they run, well, they run our country, and they run that state in particular. Tennessee, I think, is one of the worst in our nation for the trans community to live in. Um, so I read that, though, and I was a little encouraged. I was like, yes! Oh, good. You know? Um, the other thing that I read that I was really happy about, specifically because I believe he is one of the stronger voices in our country, for sure, in the U.S., he is one of the stronger voices right now behind this burgeoning white supremacist movement. But apparently there's some sort of investigation being done now into Tucker Carlson, okay. who is not a journalist, not a journalist. Very clear to those of you who listen to this podcast, Tucker Carlson is not a journalist. He's a giant douche with a Muppet mouth. He's a political pundit. He has no, no right talking about anything that really impacts the world because he's completely out of touch. Um, but he, for, I guess, months and months over the course of the last few years, and he had a lot of fuel poured on this by, of course, the Fox News Corp and little Trumpy, little Donnie Trumpy, who hates everybody who isn't a rich white man. Um, but he was talking a lot, Tucker Carlson, on his ridiculous joke of a show on Fox News, was talking a lot about um, the uh, uh, white replacement theory, or like the, I, I'm trying to remember what they call it, I believe it's the, it's re the replacement theory is kind of what it is. Um, and basically what this is, is this is the same bullshit that neo-Nazis and white supremacist douchebags have been saying for decades now about how the communities of color, black, uh, Latino, Asian, whatever they may be, the communities and people of color are doing everything they can to to slowly limit the white community. Like like now pretty like the white community are, are the minorities now. And <laughs> and all of these people of color, all they want to do is wipe out the white community. And you know, and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you serious? Look who still fucking runs the world. White men. White men still run the world. You know, and so anyway, but they're investigating him now for some of this rhetoric around him talking about how, oh, yeah, pretty soon white men are going to be the minority. Pretty soon white men aren't going to have any power at all. Pretty soon white, white men are going to have to move out of their mother's basements and actually decide they want to get a life and not being racist pieces of shit. You know, 
Um, so yeah, so I was encouraged by that too because I, I personally I hate Tucker Carlson. I wish he would die horribly, like right now. Um, anyway, but when I think about going on the attack for situations like this, which I'm not going to do, uh, because it, there are better ways to use that energy as a witch, mm-hmm. right? Um, but yeah, Tucker Carlson is on my list of people like, yeah, I need to target you. Yeah, if your tongue just was, you know, to swell up to the point where you just couldn't speak at all anymore, yeah, that would be real good. Yeah. I'm kind of hoping they find him in some sort of scandal like they did with Bill What's-His-Ass a few years ago. Bill, oh, what was his name? Basically, he was Tucker Carlson before Tucker Tucker Carlson was a thing, but um, Bill O'Reilly? Was it Bill Bill O'Reilly? I think it was Bill O'Reilly. Anyway, but... And there was all that scandal around him, like being sexually inappropriate. And obviously it was enough of a concern that even Fox Corp, Fox News Corp, which we know is the most immoral, quote unquote, news agency out there. Even they were concerned that Bill O'Reilly was going to cast a a negative light on their their phony baloney news programs. So they got rid of him. Um, He, of course, found a a second life on, uh, you know, podcasts like these, right? He, anybody with... uh, you know, a microphone and, uh, and a strong opinion to express can, uh, you know, find themselves on the air like this, which is what we're doing here now. But anyway, so protection. Sorry, my, my little rant there. Protection. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you do? What would you recommend to our listeners right now? Something simple to do, like to help. And, and again, remember, this is in aid of mundane things. If you can, protest. If you can't protest, make a phone call to your, your politicians. Send money to organizations that are doing this work. Do what you can. God, at the very least, reach out and talk to people that you know that are involved in these communities and let them know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And no, I, I can't understand what it feels like because I'm not I'm not this. I'm not you. I'm not of your community. But I'm, I'm here. And as a human being, I'm so sorry. And I'm going to do what I can to make sure that I, in, in my tiny, tiny way, that I, I fight this. Mm-hmm. So what would you recommend to our listeners around protective workings, though? Um, I always, so we focus a lot on doing things on a political, global, grand scale. Um, and I always tell people when they bring this to me that, yeah, you can do that. You can focus your energy and cast your net very, very wide and hope to get some sort of result or you could narrow your focus down like a laser and focus on the that community within your community, within your city, mm-hmm. within your town. Okay. And so what I would do, um, and this is just personally me, is I would go to any of the places that you would find this type of bigotry. You know, so you're, you know, maybe a local Taiwanese church, a local uh, person of color. Oh, okay. So, you're, okay, okay, okay. So, I misunderstood you. Okay. So, you're not saying like seek out a KKK rally. You're not no. talking about that. I mean, if you want going, to. No, no. Well, I mean, yeah, if you wanted to, you know, be, a, a, in my view, a hero and you wanted to roll up on a KKK rally with an automatic rifle and just take a few of those fuckers out and you could get away with that. I'm not saying I would advocate that or that I'm telling anybody that they should do that, but, uh, I wouldn't be upset reading something like that in a newspaper. Um, anyway, 
So it's not you're not talking about seeking out the cause of the bigotry. You're talking about seeking out the people that would potentially be victims of. Yes. Okay. Thank you. All right. Um, so I would focus on working protection in your own community. So, for example, um, we have uh, just I think up the street from the shop, there's actually like a Korean church. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. um, what I would do is I would go there and I would give offerings to the spirits that dwell there. I would say, Hey, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm giving you this offering to help bolster up your, to bolster you up, to okay. protect your parishioners, to protect the people who come here. Hmm. Um, or, you know, create uh, protective charms. Um, even, even if you're not of that religion, if you can find things and, create a protective charm out of it and gift it to those friends um, or enchant some sort of donation you would give to those places Hmm. for protection. Um, If you're an artist and a local grocery store or a local store um, could potentially be targeted, create some art enchant that art as a protective talisman and place that and gift it to those people. Those are great ways to do protection, one, on the sly, and two, on a smaller level to have a greater effect. Okay. It's just like people always, you know, when when elections come up, they want to affect the elections with magic. First, go out and vote. Second, um, you have to affect, you have to affect things on a smaller scale to sway the larger one. So you would have to focus on your local things first so that that magic can be cast wider by being carried out by those people. Okay, all right. Does that make sense? A little bit, yeah. No, you're good. I get it. Okay. Okay. How about Uh, you? How would you handle it? Um... I'm kind of with you. You know, I think a lot of the time we look at these things, and this is one of the things that makes these situations so infuriating for a lot of us, right? Is it's it's such a big thing, and there are so many pieces and so many people. And, you know, and I think a lot of that, that adds to, like, that sense of helplessness, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like that we get that voice in our head, like, well, what difference can you make, mm-hmm. right? Um, but we also know that one person can make a lot of difference, Right. Um, you know, and so I, I agree with you in looking at these things, not from the perspective of like, okay, what can I do to help the whole world with this? But instead to focus this on the, okay, there are people of color right here in my own community. Mm-hmm. There are people in this, whatever marginalized community in my own, you know, in, in right here in my own town, what can I do here? Mm-hmm. You know, they call it like in politics or in uh, not politics. Uh, well, yeah, like you know, they call it, they talk about like grass right or grassroots mm-hmm. kinds of movements, right? And I think in a lot of the ways that our our craft is, which is, should be the same, right? Most, whether it be a witch, whether it be a folk practitioner, whatever the title might be, whatever kind of spiritual practice it might be, their their first. Uh, sense of responsibility as it would relate to protection or serving was really going to be to their immediate community, mm-hmm. right? The people who lived in the village. Yes. Right? Um, it doesn't mean that they didn't do things to help people outside the village. They absolutely did, right? But yeah, but we do, we need to kind of be a bit more focused in our approach. So yes. I, I would agree. Yes. I'm, I'm not saying not to try and do something on a grand or larger scale. Oh, no, no, no. But no, no, I am no. most definitely saying that if you want to see that have 
more effect, start small first. Yes, exactly. Start local. Yep, exactly. Yes, exactly. Get get that get that change happening at home, and then ideally, what you do is you kind of kick off like what will be like a wave, right? Yeah, yeah. So if if I were to do a working, mm-hmm. what I would do is I would gather my students, mm-hmm. the growth, mm-hmm. and we would do a working to help um, empower the communities locally. Mm-hmm. And we're in Salt Lake. There's a pretty big community, right? And so what I would do is I would focus that to help mm-hmm. bolster and protect there. I would um, call up ancestors and spirits that fought for that and petition them to surround these individuals mm-hmm. with their power to further protect them guide them and ensure that they are safe while they are doing the work that they need to be doing. Okay. All right. Okay. Cool. All right. Hmm. Is that it? Yeah. I just wanted to kind of, kind of touch upon that a little bit. You know, the, this, this, like these last few moments of conversation where we talk about, um, you know, these kinds of issues, this has kind of become something that we do on each episode. So I want to make sure that we included this. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, I, I think we have an episode. Um, awesome. To our listeners, um, we, we know that we did have some um, uh, sound issues uh, during our interview with uh, Mystic Malachi. We do apologize for that. Um, I think just the distance yeah. between, you know, like, like uh, you know, he, he's speaking to us from the UK. You know, sometimes the internet just doesn't want to cooperate, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think for the most part, though, I think the... Like the, the everything was still fairly clear. I don't, I don't think we really missed. Anything. I think everything was pretty clear. And if you have any other questions, again, you'll be able to find and follow Mystic Malachi. And if you want some clarification on that, you can always contact them. Yes, yes, uh, and you can contact us as well. And if there's something that you need, if for some reason you're not quite sure how to seek out Mystic Malachi, you can contact us, and we can get you into connection. Um, beyond that, as always, we, we want to thank you so much for listening. Um, do send us questions, comments. Uh, if you have suggestions for future topics that you'd like to hear us speak about, please let us know. You can contact us, uh, I think, right here on the streaming service, actually. You can also contact us via Instagram and Facebook and uh, TikTok. TikTok. Oh, yeah, we're everywhere. Email. Um, yep. So, uh, yeah, so don't, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. And, uh, yeah, we will be chatting at all of you next week. Yeah. yeah. Happy witching.